Welcome to Critical Nest, a podcast where three friends discuss movies that critics and audiences uh, just don't agree on. I am Nick Honeywell, um, along with my two trusty co-hosts here, uh, Mr. Grizz Griswold, he's otherwise known as Andrew, and Brian McCullough. Say hello, gentlemen. Hey, my second favorite movie is Manchester by the Sea. Chris, what do you have to say to the people? That just threw me away. You didn't off. have anything prepared, did you? Nothing prepared for that. Adam, what's your second favorite movie? Second favorite movie? I don't get asked that all the time. Yeah. It's definitely not Bad Boys 2. Ooh. Too Spoiler soon. alert. You <laughs> said. Anyways, welcome. Welcome to all you cinephiles. Uh, this here is episode two of Critical Mess. Um, and if you guys thought the first one was bad, boy, are you in for a treat here? Uh, I'm just kidding, of course, guys. This episode is going to be way better. We have better mics. We have more experience. I'm going to stop saying um every other word. I'm working on that. Um, that was pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope you guys caught that. Perfect. Uh, 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 I promise I'm working <laughs> on it. Anyways, guys, so uh, a brief caveat here. There will be tons of spoilers in this and every episode. So you have been warned with the spoiler alerts. Many of the movies we talk about came out 20 or 30 years ago. So, um, you know, don't feel too bad about it. But we might talk about some new stuff. Today, however, we are talking about a markedly divisive film uh, among critics and audiences, talking about Bad Boys, not one, but two, a film from 2003 directed by Michael Bay, starring Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, and Jordi Mola, uh, also starring yeah, Jordi Mola. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I should have done my research on that. Uh, I'm going to assume it's Jordi Mola. I don't know where you hear the pronunciation of that. Oh, oh yeah. Jordi is... Yeah, that guy. M O L L A. Sorry, Jordy. My deepest apologies. Thousand pardons. Uh, Gabrielle Union also in this film, and Joe Pantaleano. It's a brief, uh, it's a, excuse me, it's a buddy cop film. Uh, sequel to, of course, the 1995 classic film of the same name, uh, minus the number two. According to our trusty barometer, Rotten Tomatoes, which is what we look at to kind of evaluate uh, the, you know, the, the critic and audience response to these films. At the start of 2023, Bad, Bo Bad Boys 2 holds a 23% rating among critics, making it pretty rotten, and a 78% score with audiences, which is pretty fresh. So a nice disparity. Yeah, right. We got a we got a healthy disparity here. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about um, you know, why this is a film that audiences and critics simply can't agree on. So let's get into 55 it. 55 point. What was Hook? Hook was. And I don't think it was quite too. that much, but not fifty-five. Yeah, that's a really that's a big, yeah, big differences are and kind of. Yeah, this is sure. the biggest so far out of out two. That's a bit. Yep, yeah, the sample size. It's something. It is. All right, so guys, I, I just want to start here with let's let's talk overall impressions uh, of the movie. I I know, um, you know, it's it's a film. I assume we have all seen before, right? I, we've all seen Bad Boys Two before, right? Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it once. I saw Bad Boys and Bad Boys Two for the first time, maybe a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. The first so three, time, the first time, pretty, pretty recently. Yeah. So that's, I did not seek those movies out. Okay. Uh, watched them just because. Well, uh, you you recommended Bad Boys to me, maybe both of them. Or I just knew that, that you Nick loved loved them, and I also know that they're just you know in the zeitgeist. So you know I, I want to. I, I really I like this though. type of like hyper masculine type. Bullshit, kind yeah. of, and well, I, I'll fully admit to that. Yeah, the yeah, those kind of you know Bruckheimer, um, you know, the the Don Simpson, Don Simpson Bruckheimer production. That's it's always a good sign for me. Mm -hmm. but, well, you, you are a big Steven Seagal fan too. Oh, I have a big Steven Seagal, and we'll, we're probably Steve's volume. 
It, uh, and we'll probably do a whole series on that yeah. someday, um, ladies and gentlemen. But um, that day is not today. Uh, Grizz, when was your first exposure to this film? Uh, I mean, coming out in 2003, that had to be high school. So I definitely saw this in high school. Um, so that was what, 16. So what, how many years ago was that? Mm-hmm. Saw it in the I mean, yeah, saw it in theaters. And I probably saw it maybe once between then and now. So it's been a number of years, at least a decade, since I'd actually seen it recently so okay so we're going in i mean so you pretty pretty, pretty recent very just not, not gonna be you know have the nostalgia glasses you know i'm coming in blank slate blank slate um first time seeing it very, years ago i think that's very good i think that's that's how because i think a lot of people a lot of people saw this movie it did very sure, well sure uh in the box office uh and grizz you've got a little bit more of that long term you know maybe you do have a little nostalgia for it i have a lot of nostalgia for it uh, so I, I think we've got a good yeah. contrast here. Very much so. Wasn't Tia Leone in the in the in the first one? Oh, she was. I have nostalgia yeah. for her. Well, Where'd she go. It's just uh, she married to Coveney, right? Okay. And then it just kind of went into the abyss. She was in like three big movies, and then that was it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 That's Bad Boys One. Sorry, not Bad Boys Two. Uh, all right, guys. So I want to talk about you know this this overall impressions of the film. Out of the gate, what what struck you about this movie? Chris, what you got? Oh, man. Okay, so this movie, I remember it being that nostalgic feeling of just big action, explosions, buddy cop movie from, what, a late 90s, early 2000s? And I, I just don't remember it being this hokey when I saw it in theaters. I mean, it was fun. I was a teenager at the time, so. Uh, but it was just... I was talking to Nick about this right before we got started, but it's just hilarious how insane some of the scenes were, the lines, just the overall action was just so over the top. And you're talking about the, the props too, like just how. Yeah. Just so I department. legitimately, I wrote this down, but I think the props department had equal budget to the pyrotechnics and explosion budget. It was just seeing all the greater details, everything, the two rats having sex. I got respect for that. Yeah, I know that little. It was quite a little trackable effect. Crazy little vignettes in this movie, which is what I think makes it great. But yeah. anyway, sorry. Somebody had to build that and then that. film it and do all the scenes with it, and Lawrence had to react to it. So there, there's a lot of great comedy in this movie. I don't think we can anyone will dispute that, and I and I think that's going to be play play a lot into why this movie was rated the way it was. Um, so all right, guys. So the, I mean. Right out of the gate here, I I want to talk about. I know we we all just watched this movie, and the you know the first thing that that struck me, um, you know, quite literally, it's that it's that Bruckheimer Simpson graphic at the start of the movie with the, with the thunder yeah. thunderclap, and it's it's so lit, you know, it's just it it just felt literally it's quite lit, and it's just and I and I just really I, that just hyped me for any movie, and I and pretty much any film that has that little start to it, it's 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 got my attention, got my attention. Um, so just a small observation there that I that that uh, I, I I enjoyed it was uh, and nostalgia once again nostalgic. I uh, before we go any further, I uh, I haven't really given my initial thoughts on it, um, but before I do that, I, I actually stumbled across a synopsis on this film. Yeah, um, please. That uh, you know, kind of speaks to to where to, to what I thought of it. Let me let me just read it here. Uh, it says, uh, Will Smith stars as Mike Lowry, a Will Smith type police detective who doesn't play by the rules, and somehow drives a Ferrari in this ecstasy-infused crime-action thriller. Joining him is Martin Lawrence as Marcus Burnett, an incompetent and skittish detective with an emotional overdependence on his sister. Join the undynamic duo as they terrorize, destroy, and racketeer Miami, get yelled at by their mean old boss for their cavalier methods, 
and then get ordered to go out and do it all again with double the gusto and no repercussions. Because remember, they're bad boys. Joe Pantaleonis shines as Captain Howard, who reportedly was directed not to use any of his acting talents. Action fans rejoice. There's just so much action. Listen to this example of the action. In Act 1, the boys pursue a truck on a bridge while bad guys throw a cargo at them. In Act 2, the boys pursue a truck on a city street while bad guys throw a cargo at them. And in Act 3, subverting all heretofore car chase expectations, the boys escape in a truck through a living room while bad guys shoot at them. It's a fresh take on the bad boys 2 car chase trope, and boy does it deliver. Not to worry non-action fans, if you've been duped into watching Bad Boys 2 by an 18 to 24-year-old male, go ahead and take a 140-minute long nap. The decibel level won't deviate by more than two points from 110, allowing the film to conveniently double as a white noise machine. And you will rest assured knowing that it follows an engineered formula. Every 7.4 seconds on screen will be a car go vroom, bomb go boom, or titty go boom, which is clinically proven to keep the viewer's interest level at 100%, allowing your slumber to go completely unnoticed. Get ready for a thrill ride of a movie. That's right, guys. The synopsis is still going. I don't know who wrote this. Where from opening scene to closing credits, the stakes will remain exactly the same. The character arcs will continue to be horizontal lines. And the setups and payoffs will conveniently stay out of the way to allow for maximum explosions, guns, cars, TNA, bullets, drugs, explosion, car chase, drugs, explosion, punch, shoot, gun, machine gun. A sensory feast for the hearing, seeing, and mentally impaired. This wonderfully delightful and originally written film boosts, boasts a screenplay generated by a chat GPT response to write a movie about Grand Theft Auto Vice City in the style of Michael Bay, but he forgot to take his Adderall. You've never experienced a film that so delicately walks the line between, was that racist? And, yep, totally racist. Also starring the great Michael Shannon, who reportedly was also directed not to use any of his acting talents, Bad Boys 2 is the summer blockbuster you can pretend to like if you've ever been accused of being pretentious. So, you know, I, I read that and then I watched the, the, no, I'm just kidding. I wrote that. Um, and then I read it, but yeah, so, so that's kind of, <laughs> that might sum up a little bit. My, my, uh, initial reactions to the movie, I've got a lot more we can unpack. Obviously that was, you know, completely overblown sarcasm. And now, I, I'd like to give a, a point for point rebuttal. I hope I triggered you. That was exactly why I wrote that. I can't wait to hear it. No, so, no. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, uh, to begin, the genesis of Will Smith's Ferrari is well explained in Bad Boys 1. I, I, yeah, I'm, 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 we're not going to do this. What? It, and it's funny because I actually wrote, a, wrote that down. To, uh, I had a point uh, thinking, you know, that's so ludicrous that I bet it was explained in the first one and I forgot how we had that. So that that is justified. Okay, I retract. Thank you. I only wanted to score one point. I retract. That's, that's all I needed. That's all I needed. I did, I, and in fact, I did not uh, disagree with, with many of the things that were... Uh, in that um in that synopsis um I, I i don't know i get the feeling here that that i'm probably going to be the most polarized and liking this movie the most but I, I don't know grizz i mean you need to i mean fill me in if you're if you're if you're i mean this is just a classic to me i have to fall like probably directly in the middle of each of you in the absolute ridiculousness of this movie but at the same time like it was outrageously enjoyable mainly not because it was a cool action flick just because it was so like stupidly funny from the action, the lighting, the like you said, the car chase to the bridge, the car chase to the van chase to the street, the whatever to the building to the other building. It's like just one action set piece to the next, and it was I don't know, it's just so strange, but it was so much fun to watch. I don't know, it's been so many years since I've seen it. Well, perhaps you can you know moderate us a little bit here as we as kind of the yeah, uh, voice of reason um, as we as we battle this one out. 
I know I know that. Uh, well, 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 here's here's one thing I will concede right right out of the gate, and I'm not just going to be a total bad boys two fanboy here. I'm I'm going to first say that I think the first movie is way better. I think it's I, I, enjoyed the first movie. Yeah, it's a much better film. Uh, there's a reason that movie put Michael Bay on the map. Uh, and it's you know, and it and it holds up really well to this day. Bad Boys Two feels very much of its time. It doesn't feel uh, timeless to me in a way that Bad Boys One does. So I, I will first of all um, admit that. Um, so, but but I do want to um, give do a, a little ribbing uh, to this movie out of the gate. And, and one of the things that that disappointed me uh, about this movie, just looking at it very critically, and a reason I'm sure critics didn't like this movie because this is one of the biggest no-nos in, in screenwriting, and that is, you know, the idea of, of telling and not showing, right? And there's a lot of telling and not showing, especially at the start of the movie when it just could have been set up. It's almost, it, you're treating the audience like they're stupid. You know, they can't figure out, you know, that drugs are being dropped off, you know, when and there's a, there's a line, there's a couple of lines, you know, the cargo is being dropped. It's literally a line in the film, right? Uh, there's $150 million worth of dope worth of my dope on the way right that's literally in the film like do we need to like we could have shown these things another example of that there's a, there's a specific part of the movie that really hit me it was with about 25 minutes left in the movie um so marcus who is uh played by martin lawrence marcus explains so there's just the next uh maybe i beyond, maybe beyond when we started act three but it's like you know they're getting ready to go do the last set piece and um marcus just sa says shit just got real it's like it, i took me out of it because like he shouldn't have had to tell me that shit just got real because like, I should have just known that. And it, it was very much like directed at the audience to, to, to let us know that, Ooh, shit just got real. Like it hasn't been real yet. And it just got real. And that, that I feel like is an example of just telling and not showing. Yeah. I think one of the heaviest things in this film, as I noticed over and over and over again, there were so many setup scenes that were not for the film. They were nest. They were just for the audience to solve the next thing that was coming. Uh, I think one of them was they went and they busted up that. Um, what did they 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 busted up the um, the guy's shop? Yeah, the, the guy's shop, the and that was simply to get guy. that was their intel guy to get them to what the morgue is that correct? Uh, I think no, they were the the blonde haired Haitian guy. He was he was given on the intel where he lived. And then they oh, went okay. to the apartment and had that yeah. cool shootout that, that right. I, I had one of my notes was like, Oh, that's right. Okay. Really well so, but th there was like, there was no reason for them to set that up. Like, I don't, they, there was that. And so that set up this part. So they didn't need necessarily so, that. His name they was Ice Pig. Cut, the was, the no movie right was the... over two and a half hours long. There's absolutely right. no reason for a lot of these scenes. And then the other scene was, it was just like this, but it was the, um, where'd they run into to get the rat costume? So the extermination costumes. Didn't they have to go into a building? And get the costumes, and they shot. There's a couple of quick cuts where the, where there's a guy, and he's like, "So you want to kill some roaches?" Yeah, and, and they're, they're going like, through this yeah. whole scene. I was like, "You did not need to explain that. Just show me in the house. They have the rat costumes, the rat truck. We don't need to know that they're undercover. We don't need to know that they went through this whole process of like joking and bantering back and forth, just to show that they were going to use this as their excuse to get into this <laughs> this you know this gangster's house." Well, there's a lot of fat that can be trimmed from this movie. I'm I'm gonna. Totally concede that. I mean, yeah, it's what, it's two and a half hours, right? About two and a half. Uh, yeah, it was I like believe the runtime. Yeah, two there, give or take. So whatever that is, two twenty-ish or something. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's you know, if you're gonna run that long, you better have better have plenty to plenty to say. Is this a comedy or an action? Action comedy. I mean, it's an action, but if you had to put it in order, a lot of the critics said it was straight up comedy. Oh, really? I would say it's in order of. Probably. Not, that, not that it didn't have action in it, but that it is a comedy movie. 
and I hate to be too pedantic with the genres because I feel like that locks things down. And I didn't feel like it was straight ahead comedy, but a lot of the critics did, or at least that's what they said. What would you guys think? This one, like the first film, felt like an action comedy. This one feels like a comedy action. Complete opposite flip. It felt way more hokey. The lines, like the one hitters, just over and over again with the captain or Lawrence after he's all high on ecstasy or whatever it is. Um, it definitely felt like more comedy. This one felt more polished too. That was the first one felt super grainy. It felt more grounded. And then you have the second one that you could tell the shots were, they had a higher budget. They could use better lighting or whatever, not I say better lighting, but it was just far more intense lighting that they could use to make it look more dramatic or feel more dramatic when they were still joking around. Can, can I ask, I want to ask you both another question too. Um, and I think that this might help frame some of our conversation. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I don't think we got into this yet in, in the podcast, but I wish Rotten Tomatoes had the ability for me to give every movie two ratings. I wish it had the ability for me to give my enjoyability factor and my critical review. Um, and I think that that right there is 50% of the disparity between critics and, and audience reading through, and we'll read through some of these reviews, uh, as we go, but a lot of the audience rated it five out of five classic because it was so enjoyable. And a lot of the critics rated it low because it broke a lot of the rules of filmmaking, yada, yada, yada. It wasn't critical, critically well-made movie. I would have rated this a higher, well, actually I might take that back. I don't know if I would even rate this very high on enjoyability, but, but it definitely wouldn't be the same as my critical score on it. And that's, uh, that's a larger question too, when it comes to movies, how, how much of your rating is fueled by your enjoyment while that two hours that you were watching that movie and how much of your rating is, is fueled by a more cerebral analysis of the movie. And everyone has somewhere on that scale. No one is right or wrong. I tend to be more critical on my ratings, but I'm, I'm curious. How do have you thought about that or from what totally depends on my expectations of the movie, what kind of movie it's going to be. Like what it is trying to do. Yeah. If it's, if it's, you know, um, you know, if it's Steven uh, Seagal movie, you know, I'm not going to watch that with a with a critical eye. Well, maybe I am going to just for the hilarity of it. Um, but I think if it's something like, if it's like an Aronofsky movie, I'm probably not going to like really enjoy it that much. It's going to be probably hard to watch, kind of a slog in parts, but brilliant, you know? And it's, and so... You know, those kind of movies, so I don't know, those kinds of movies I would score really high just for different reasons. So I guess it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, yeah I'd have to say that's such a hard question. Just be- I think expectation is the number one thing, like Nick said, because I go in, I usually have already watched a trailer for the movie at least, if not, if, or at most of trailer for a movie is at least a teaser maybe. Um, but you have to go in with some type of expectation, knowing that it's a comedy or you know it's supposed to be kind of crazy or wild over the top. I think I would go into this as like a movie experience, go to the theater with a few buddies, laugh about it, and that's about it. I don't know if I'd go into it thinking this is some directorial expertise in how he shot the film or anything like that. I don't think any Michael Bay movies been well, like did, that. But did you guys rate it out of five or if you, I know Nick you do like out of four scale? Like what give give me give me your rating out of five or four, ten or whatever you want to do. Give me your give me your rating on this. It's not gonna I mean, mine's on a scale of 10 with halves. So, you know, yeah. uh, I'd price sit this right at five and a half, maybe six. And that's being kind of generous. I was not expecting it to be as much of a, a goofball. Like, it just, like, every time they had a weird liner, like a one-liner, 
it just straight threw me out of the movie. But the action scenes, you're like, oh, that was that's pretty fucking that's amazing. Like the, some of this stuff was pretty cool. Like he's they're rotating the camera on a jig around the room when he's on the other side of that wall inside the drunk house or whatever, and he's got like the what is it, the Haitian guys or with the huge dreadlocks and they're shooting back and forth at each other. And the camera rotates while he's only looking at the one wall and then the other wall. And it's like, it was really well done the first yeah. two revolutions, but then the next 15. Yeah. And it just kept going. That's just Michael Bay. He yeah. just does it. Too. We didn't have Neo dodging bullets 98 times. Yeah. They set all those cameras up and he did it once. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you can have a cool thing without any, but I do, I do agree. That was a cool scene. Yeah. Next would be, I think you could give the answer. Five yeah. and a half. To six. Five and a half. Yeah, I'd say five and a half. Out of yeah. ten. Yeah. yeah. Um, so two and a half out of five-ish. Yeah, this uh, this movie, it just has so much nuance for me. I feel like I have to go on a 100-point scale. Nuance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give it an 83 out of 100. 83. So specific. Yeah. That just feels right to me. It feels right to me. Really enjoy this movie. And this is one I'm definitely ranking on that enjoyability factor a lot more than the critical factor. Yeah. It was... There are a lot of really, you know, there, there are some things in this movie that were just cringy, let's just say. Uh, especially, you know, however many years later, almost, you know, close to two decades later, right? It doesn't hold up well. No, I, I, I think there in a lot of ways. There's some sexism, like all kinds of stuff in it. And it's very much a, a, an element of its time. Yes. And, that, and at the time, it wasn't that stuff wouldn't have really stood out. I don't think in a way that it, it does now. So I'd, it's tough to judge a movie, you know, 20 years later in that way, just because you, how could it, you know, know what the future held. In the future, I didn't, I didn't give my rating based on that stuff either. Um, it's just a kind of a note, you know, yeah. like, it just makes it harder to watch now. But um, I have, I'm not going to split hairs and get it, get into every single um, show that I, then I just was inexplicably terrible about this movie to me. I have some big overarching themes, but um but yeah, just for just for um, sake of, of completion, my I, I give it a one out of five on Rotten Tomatoes. It's I rarely give a movie that low of a score. So twenty percent out of a hundred, I guess. Um and yeah. I can I can back that up. Um I mean I, with I can back that up. Some pretty strong reasons. My enjoyability I, I'll just quickly say some of the things I liked about it. Martin Lawrence is funny. I'm sorry, he's funny. I don't I, I'm not a big Will Smith fan, uh, but I do I do like Martin Short. The rotating gut uh, shootout scene was cool. Well done. The um, uh, the, the scene where the where old boy is trying to ask out uh, his niece or whatever, and they come and they're like threatening him, and Wilson's being all gangster to him. It, it's, it's got, well, he's got the bottle of vodka, yeah. taking swigs out of it. Man, if we could have just had more of that in this movie. Oh man, I could have taken all the rest of the stuff and swallowed it a little bit easier. Um, and then I, this is probably an unpopular one, but that mortuary body gross out scene sequence. I thought it was funny. I I, I kind of liked it. It's a little gross out. You had the ecstasy pills inexplicably drop into a glass that Martin Lawrence would go and, and actually drink out of a random glass in a room full of dead bodies. Like, no, that's well, weird. He made that quick cut. I was wondering the same thing, but that shot was cool where he flipped the bag and the two flew in, the two pills flew in the air. It just happened to click in the glass or whatever. I can't tell if that was CG or if it was what, but while the shot may be may have been executed well, and I agree that it was. But there was a cutscene that said he was looking for his uh, antacid. And he said something like he was looking for him. I could have swore he put him in a glass. No, he just, he just, he was throwing up and he just needed to, he was just thirsty. I could have sworn he said he mentioned something about he, him. Again, that comes down to one of my, one of my big buckets of, of problems with the categories of problem with this movie is, is it's lazy writing, very lazy writing. I feel like it, that, that was a scene where they're like, hey, it'd be funny to get Martin Lawrence on ecstasy, 
how we're going to do it. And they did it like the laziest way you possibly could with like some kind of coincidental random thing that is like perfectly timed and now he's hot. So yeah, I don't know. How much of a Michael Bay movie do you think that is though? Like how much do you think is just him excruciatingly going through every detail of an explosion and an action scene and then being like, you guys are going to go in the morgue and you're going to dig through the body for the ecstasy. You're going to actually, you're going to accidentally take ecstasy. Go. Like, do you think he's just like, that's his scene for that, but he will go through it with a fine tooth comb and how to write action scene? Well, I don't think he wrote the screenplay. Um, I think he just directed screenplay and, you know, just didn't, didn't put a lot of thought into a lot of the things or why people would do things. I don't know who did write the screenplay. Um, I don't think Michael Bay is a meticulous director like a Christopher Nolan or a James Cameron. I think he's yeah. a bombastic director who, yeah. you know, wants to shock and thrill and just turn everything up as loud as possible. He's made some really good movies. I'm not going to just hate on Michael Bay, but um, he doesn't strike me as a meticulous perfectionist. He strikes me as a let's show TNA and Ferraris and explosions, which, that, you know, I don't mind any of those things. <laughs> That's true. So this movie was written by Ron Shelton and Jerry Stahl. So Ron Shelton um, actually wrote Bull Durham. So okay, so he's got a, a little bit of a, a pedigree. Um, so that's a deep. Yeah, and I think you know to to the the point about the XC thing. Yes, sure they they backed into that that idea because they and they didn't have a good way to get into it. But damn it, how fucking funny was that? Yeah, no, I just thought they couldn't not do it because it was just such a brilliant seat. And that's why it was on my list of three good things I liked about the movie. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. I mean, Martin Lawrence is, I think Martin Lawrence in a lot of ways uh, is kind of um, forgotten and I and, and is underappreciated. People don't really, he was fucking funny. His stand-up back in the day, he used to be a killer. Like, he, he was a, he was, and I think he's, I think he's really funny. Yeah, his show on Fox was funny. I mean, he was a, he was a he was funny. He's, he's like been the, the one reason, besides the fact that we're doing this podcast, that I didn't turn the movie off. Yeah. So, yeah, and I and I don't really, you know, maybe just kind of stepped away from filmmaking. I don't really know his his personal history. Um, I know didn't he have like some major freak out like in middle of L.A. one thing? He did, he did. Um, and I do not remember the details, so I'm not going to speculate. But there was an incident, and that's all I'm surprised. Um, okay, well let's um, let's actually let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, one thing you brought up there, Brian, was kind of the kind of there there was kind of like a lot of uncomfortable racism. In a lot of ways, and I and I think some intended and maybe some not so intended. Let's talk about the really intended uh, part. The uh, kind of the KKK white power opening scene is really a um, an intense um, scene and way to open a film in many ways. Uh, and I think it's just a, a really interesting scene, in my opinion, for for a lot of reasons. I think not not the least of which is it's really just an awesome start to the kind of the banter and the chemistry between you know Lawrence and 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 Will Smith and in in the you know kind of the the high super high stakes situation you know where they're just and it's kind of when they're at their best you know when and it and it starts and I will love kind of how it's kind of an homage to the first film you know where they kind of I don't remember know if you guys remember the first movie but where it starts with a, another really precarious situation where Will Smith is getting carjacked and they kind of get in this like play fight with each other and you know, and you know, they distract the guy, and then he yeah, well, it's not his passenger fifty-seven. Right. You know, it's it's a great opening sequence. And this is kind of a similar type of deal. It's like these two guys are just kind of talking shit to each other, and um, in the in the midst of this incredibly deadly, crazy situation, um, you know, these it and it's just I I I just think it's a super fun scene that's crazy and interesting. I think it could have been 
if I wasn't taken out of the immersion. And what took me out of the immersion was just everything around that scene. You've got all these like teams of guys within eyesight and earsight. That was a little ridiculous. Now the radios break, so they're lazy writing, so they don't know what's going on. And then you've got all these KKK guys who are who are clearly crazy to take this cop and put a gun to his head, yada, yada, all the things they end up doing. And then you've got Will Smith standing there with two guns. Which, first of all, if you're holding two guns out at arm's length, uh, like, what, what would you call this? Like, a Kimbo? Yeah. Okay. okay. You, you, you're only looking at one of the guns. Somebody's going to come take the other gun out of your damn hair. Yeah, it's absurd. And the fact that he's doing that in the middle of a bunch of guys, and they literally sit there and talk for five minutes, and the guy who's got the gun to, Mar to Martin Lawrence's head, he's not asking for anything. He's not doing or saying anything. He's literally just standing there listening. That wouldn't happen. He would be like, do this, or I'll do this. You know what I mean? Like, like it was like just the Will Smith show. And I, so I'm saying that because, like, I agree with you. I think that these are the kind of situations that it's classic bad boys. And, and you have these two guys bantering in high stakes. But I think that an example of a movie where that's done well is Rush Hour. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan get in those type of situations and have all kind of banter. And it's done really well. And I think it's, I really think it's just because the writing's not as lazy. And in this scene, it's, I'm just so taken out of it because I'm like, why is no one doing anything at all? So I don't know. I just had to make that. And again, I, I, I'm going to tell myself now, I'm not going to split any more hairs with details like that. Let's just assume that it's a silly, goofy movie and there's a million... This is cinema sense, right? So, But I did... Maybe that's why, maybe that's too, speaking to a larger point as to why I wasn't able to get on board with more of it like you were because maybe my threshold for like just... In, in this movie in particular, my threshold for immersion was just... Maybe, maybe it's the nostalgia, you know? Because I, I watch movies that I'm nostalgic for now and I look past a, a, a host of problems. That if I watched it new now, I probably wouldn't. So maybe maybe it's that, or maybe it's just we're different people. And I, I just can't get past scenes like that. I'm mean, the whole time I'm questioning the scene. So yeah, I I totally hear you on that. I and I and I don't even necessarily disagree with you. I, it's yeah. just it's a it's just kind of your mindset. You know, as you the, the film. It's a ludicrous scene, a ridiculous scene, um, a crazy situation. And I you know I I thought it was a just a crazy and interesting setup. Um, for being a film, but I could definitely see why it would be taken that way, 100%. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that kind of leads into another point here and that I think is worth making about this movie. And that is, you know, and, and that scene really illustrates it. I mean, th this is a movie that was very clearly made for the big screen. You know, just 100% a big screen experience. Just the cinematography and the, you know, the, the slow-mo where, you know, Marcus, uh, Martin Lawrence, you know, takes the bullet in the ass, right? And it's like the bullets fly. And it still looks pretty good today. I mean, it, uh, it doesn't look like amazing, but for 20 years old CGI, it looks decent. And, you know, just the, I can just kind of still hear that, you know, just the spectacle of that in the theater and the surround sound. And just, it just, you know, it was a movie that that is where it's meant to be experienced. So I think you lose something with this movie when you aren't watching it on a, you know, a ridiculous home theater setup or, or something, which you were, Brian. So, you know, I, I you know, that, that's not an excuse. So, you know, you literally saw Will Smith dive with one hand, two, two guns, two guns yep. dives, and shoots the bullet, and it goes through three different glass vessels and hits a human, and it literally does not redirect one so whatsoever and does a kill shot in the neck to the to the to the guy. Yeah, I saw that very clearly and I heard yeah. it very loudly. And I thought I definitely had mine up much louder at in this viewing just because I wanted to listen. I wanted to watch this Michael Bay movie and just have the explosions and all the action. But I was still, like, I think that's my biggest thing is, like, I go to the theater 
I think growing up, my nostalgia is like going and having an experience, like viewing this, being taken out of whatever I was doing, like school, whatever, and watching a film. And then I, I feel like the older I get, the more like into I am when those things, like when something happens and it clicks me away from the scene or it clicks me away from the movie. I'm like, oh, I'm in a theater or like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then I started thinking about, oh, why the, did they write that or why, why did they do that scene? And it just takes me straight out of it. To your point, Nick, and I want to read some of these audience reviews. Um, I just kind of read a bunch of the most recent ones, and I, I think you're really on to why this movie did well, both both box office and with with audiences. Um, just just some of the Michael gives it five stars. Just a dumb, fun, explodey action movie. Uh, three and a half stars by Mark Mark A. Enjoyable buddy movie. Three and a half stars by um, Gage A. Not that exciting enough, but is worth watching sometimes. For me, it looks better than the first one, so he's, his rating is based on how it looks and the style of it, which definitely had style, for sure. Uh, Ken C. gives a five stars. Nice buddy cop movie that's that has aged well. He's he's wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, but just a lot of these um, funniest and most original of action movie trilogy. Uh, completely unrealistic, but that's not what we're here for. Uh, one of the best action movies ever made. Freeway Chase is definitely number one of all time. So these people are appreciating the spectacle, which is sure. what you're getting at. Sure. And there's something they said, said about that. I, I just went and watched Avatar 2. And if it, if the spectacle wasn't turned to 100, I probably wouldn't have liked it as much as I did. And I'm, I I think I liked a lot of it just because of the spectacle. Yeah, so, if it was in an animated film or something yeah. versus a fully CG realistic one. Yeah, I'm not going to be completely unbiased, you know, as much yeah. as I like to think. Oh, I want to just get into I don't want to forget to bring this point up because I think it's another reason why uh, this movie just did so well at the box office and with audiences. And, and once again, maybe critics just aren't as concerned about this. And that, and that is that, you know, to me, this is what, like, the sequel, like, should have been. You know, this is, like, what it was expected to be. It was bigger. It was, you know, more bombastic. Um, and it was not treading really a lot of new ground, but it really did its job. It did the chemistry was all there with the the two leads that really made the first one. It brought back the, you know some of the characters from the first one that really were hitting right. They amped up the action. They amped up everything. Just everything cranked to eleven. You know, so I, I think that, and I'm not saying even that's in a lot of ways that's a bad thing, right? Because they're not really trying anything new. They're not you know they're not really taking a lot of chances. You know, but they're doing what the audience came to see, right? Can we talk about what a sequel is for a second? Sure. And I think that, to this movie's credit, it is a sequel. And unfortunately, sequels have the constraint of huge expectations from an audience. Or not huge expectations, but very specific expectations from the audience. A movie that's not a sequel, the only expectations are either word of mouth or trailer marketing, right? You go and you see the movie. The movie can completely subvert your expectations, and maybe that's a good thing because then you're pleasantly surprised, right? But when you see a sequel, unfortunately, you're locked into this movie is a sequel to another movie. It's got a it's got an audience base, and it kind of, you know, Bad Boys Two couldn't just do whatever it wanted to do. It just had to turn up the bombast, and it did that. And and I think that's a larger discussion, and maybe we can we can have a, a, an episode on sequels, but um. I I, can't, I see. I have a problem with sequels. You know, yeah, I think a lot of it, like you said, Nick even said this earlier, it was it's uh, a victim of its time. Like I think the early two thousands, late nineties, those movies, like a lot of those sequels were just outrageously explosive, and they had to be bigger. Their budgets were bigger. The expectations were obviously larger because I think it was almost ten years between this and the first one. 
And then it was another almost 20 years between the second and the third that just came out like a year or two ago. Yeah, massive gaps. And I, so there's obviously huge fan bases that have kind of slowly built up. And I think that that comes with the territory of any of these. But uh, like of the times, though, you have to go 10x bigger. You have to go bigger on cameras, the special effects, the prop, like all that stuff. The Matrix had just re recently completely reshaped the entire cinematic landscape. It, it so. just finished that year. The, th the third and final of that trilogy finished in 03, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, wasn't the only movie to take cues from it. Every movie was taking cues from yeah. Matrix as far as slow-mo, bullet time, hardway chase, uh, freeway chase scenes, things like that. So, Yeah, they used the same, not a knock on the the movie, same Cadillac at CTS in uh, BS. Which, by the way, the car chase scene in, in Matrix 2 was... In my opinion, much better than the Bad Boys Two. Bad Boys Two was oh. was great. There was a lot of cool practical stuff, but yeah, if you're gonna do a, a freeway chase, that was hands down. Let's have two semi trucks run directly nose to nose into each other, and flying Neo come and save somebody out of the wreckage. That's the way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of the Matrix chase light. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, which is okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. You know, I want to talk some cinematography because it's just it's really interesting in this movie and and once again very of the time it feels like but also very cool in, in a lot of ways like for example toward the beginning of the film there's this kind of really interesting tracking shot that um kind of goes to the club the uh the russian mobster uh played by uh, peter uh scormare great um very great character yeah and he did a lot of michael Bay movies yeah he is he is he is a pro he is the perfect russian mob boss bad guy um, but it, some of those shots, you know, even the, the kind of the film opens with the, the credits open with this kind of crazy tracking. I mean, it's even in and out of legs. So I was curious how that was even shot in the first place. Cause are there just actors jumping up out of the way or flipping over the camera to like get it? That was wild. I ought to say some of the cinematography in this film was kind of mind boggling. They, they call me like looking at it and then Michael Bay fashion, he just kind of goes 10 times longer than he needs to. So. There's a lot of digital magic in this movie. Um, a lot of just really cool stuff. I love too how in that club scene, the like had the glass floor. You could like see down from the from the mobster office upstairs. He counting the money, looking down at everybody dancing, taking their ecstasy. That was that was kind of kind of fun. Speaking of cinematography, did did you notice that the camera literally never stops moving in this movie? I don't think there's ever a yeah. There's never a sitting. No, you're totally always dolly steady cam or. And it's, I mean, it's just a, it's a music video, and it's the cuts. You know, there's cuts every, you know, three seconds. I never but noticed that. So many that, cuts. I mean, I know that's his style of movie, but and he does a lot of handheld. He does a lot of motion. The camera rotating around two guys, just so they just have a pedestrian dialogue. But what if it's it a sixty mile an hour single time? I mean, you know, it's it's like when you highlight everything, nothing's highlighted. It's just the uh, it's very kinetic. The whole movie is just movement, movement, movement. That's coming up to good good observation um one thing i wanted to bring up brian I, that's funny i wrote this down because you kind of wrote on the opposite thing but i i had a problem with was you know you were talking about you know um why does you know will smith drive ferrari and i want to know why is marcus rich now he's got this badass house like he lives on the ocean he lives on the pool yeah and it's only afford this crash pool but he's got this beautiful you know miami like i mean i don't know if i could mention but it was a pretty Badass house. Nick, these guys are young cops. Why do they? Why? Why do they have Ferraris and big houses? Well, well, Mike Lowry has Ferraris and big houses because he's trust fund. Yeah. yeah. So they're not wearing a first cut scene in the, right? was the first movie. I think they mentioned it here. Yeah, they, they talked about it in the first thing. film. But yeah. then he also talked about how uh, he gifts Lawrence, um, uh, Marcus, uh, 
things. He, he there's a small cutaway line that he he gives him the pool at the end that he he gave him that pool. So it was a nicer pool, I guess. But he still busted it up. You're right. He he lived right on the water. He had a real nice. I didn't place. notice how yeah. nice the house was. Though. I didn't really pay attention. No, it was big and nice. It was on the water, like right there. It was a yeah. it was like a more than a million dollars. Right. Okay, that house was easy, probably a couple. Of, I mean, I don't know what real estate prices. That was a nice. House. Well, I mean, right. think about the cutscene back. To, I mean, what is this? Two that early two thousands, like police guys, like he's in that uh, scene where he's pulling the cash and he's like showing the giant stacks of cash with his hands inside the mortuary or in the morgue or whatever. And he was talking about, oh, I'm just going to be over accounting this. Like, there was that quick scene where he's like, maybe yeah, he's yeah, pocketing yeah. shit in a cash and we don't know. Who knows? But it's also, I mean, the police station, my God, it was like, a, it looked like a, you know, it was like an Ikea store in there. It was like, what, what? There's no police station that looked like that. With the, like, big plate glass, you know, everywhere. And, and, like, and movies. Yeah, yeah. 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 was wearing, like, fucking flip-flops and Hawaiian shirts and shit. And it's the like, classic uh, last action hero uh, joke. Have you seen that movie in recent mm. years? But it's like he wants that, that joke where he, he's like, what kind of a police station is it? It looks like there's cartoon characters walking around, but it's like this huge, glorious-looking museum-style place. But it's a movie exactly. police station. I'm sure we could do a whole episode on that. Speaking of the, the two guys and the police station and things like that, you know, movies are inherently unrealistic, you know, kind of by nature in a lot of ways. Uh, but what I, when I require them to be are at least what they're consistent with themselves consistent with what with the universe they're in or what they're selling you know the force works in star wars because star wars has the force you know it wouldn't work in this movie because it doesn't you know what i mean so rules the exactly rules the universe so we're in miami we're in a, a police department and we're busting drugs we've got these two cavalier dudes these these cops these kind of unorthodox cops or whatever i just don't understand people's motivation for anything they do in this movie i don't understand why for instance they're 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 police captain just rings them after they destroy the city and just a few moments later in the same scene tells him he doesn't care what they do just go out and get it done okay i noticed that that was that was a that's no but that one was that was only glaring um just why why do the two guys do what they do i mean why martin lawrence there's three different actually there's more than three how many times is martin lawrence sitting in the passenger seat of a car that will smith is driving he's panicking and will smith is kind of gangster drive driving this car i mean it happens over and over and over and what are they doing so martin lawrence is kind of a a skittish um cop who who i would argue maybe has the only slight character arc in the entire movie and that's that at the end he actually has the balls to shoot the dude or whatever it's like ooh, you, you kind of got so if he's this type of guy and then will smith is just this trust on baby this cool dude, or whatever like but they're they're going out here and they're tearing up the city and they're risking their lives every second for all this stuff. I don't know. To me, there, what's the motivation there? And I, I would say to that, and sorry, but I, my answer is short and sweet. I would just say, and this makes me, I'm, I'll admit, this probably makes me a bad viewer, but I just, I don't care. Okay. If I'm having fun, if I'm having fun, I really don't give a shit what their motivation is. And I will say that probably makes me a shallow and unsophisticated viewer, but I will admit that. Thanks for <laughs> But you guys, all right, so do you know? The only reason you said there is as if you told me a motivation that wasn't true but you did you that was a consistent statement so i i still i don't see but also think about the what is their what was their department called do you remember i had to look it up just now tnt tnt yeah the tactical narcotics scheme yeah it's pretty great i mean if you have that it's i mean it's like mission impossible it's the mission impossible right yeah i didn't go that far the imf is like a 
it's a fictional, you know, I know this is fiction as well, but, but the whole point, I mean, they're called the impossible mission. Better foundation, federation, what is federation or foundation on the material. Um, that's the premise. The literally name it out loud. Yeah. And maybe I should take a cue from the name of this movie, Bad Boys. I mean, they're going out and they're 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 not good people. Yeah, I think these two cops only are the good guys because they set them up against KKK racist rednecks and crazy Cuban crime lords and Russian crime lords that yeah. just remember people. Yeah, you know, it's like they're just going to win a good fight comparison. Yeah, but they're not good people. They're mean. They're they don't care about anybody else. You know, there's a. I shouldn't say they don't care about anybody else, but they don't have regard for human life if it's not the human life that they care about. Yeah. Case in point, they go in and destroy an entire city just to get old boy's sister back without but, any regard for any civilian death. Or the, the kid, the daughter that's in that mansion that they RPG, the little Oh, yeah. Family. They just kind of pushed her over to the side yeah. after the gunfire starts exploding through the windows. Yeah. Another case in point there. Uh, think about how many people would have just died a fiery, horrible death during that car chase. Yeah. Like and Will Smith at the very end of that scene, like the very last thing that happens in that scene is Will Smith just going, Woo! <laughs> 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 just burns off. And there's all these people that are just dead and bleeding out. And it's hilarious how the movie like barely tries to cover its ass when um, Joe, Pat, Joe Pantaleano is like, wow, thank God we didn't lose any cops. <laughs> it's like, right. Well, at least like. 15 civilians died. Did you see the scene? And you know what, Nick? I would be just fine with that. In fact, I would laud that if by the end of the movie, Will Smith gave a shit about other humans because then you have a character arc. But you don't have that. You have Will Smith not speaking and that's only just bald with the blink of an eye. That's an interesting, that's an interesting character. Uh, police, because, you know, whatever your thoughts are about the police, you know, mine are that there are some police out there that are kind of like Will Smith. I mean, there, there's lots of great police, but there's, there's bad and good in every profession. But if that was their point, they're like, he's a bad cop. Bad boys, bad cop, bad Will Smith, because he doesn't care about, he just cares about looking good at a glamour, and then by the end, maybe he does something altruistic. That would at least be something for me. So, very fair point. That is funny, though, bring that up. Just, woo! <laughs> yeah, I thought that was uh, Well, and so, so another thing I want to, just speaking of the, the car chase thing, and then we can leave this alone, but the cars in this movie are just really fun. As someone who, like, appreciates cars a little bit, I'm not like a super big car guy, but I, I do appreciate classic cars and muscle cars. And like that Asian gang. That's like the boss of all boss lineups of muscle cars. Like that Firebird and absolutely sick 70s Chevelle. Like that blacked out Chevelle. That's like my dream car. Like this car. Like how are these yeah. Haitian guys living in some bro in some crap house? 72 Chevelle. Yeah, this had to be at the time too. Just having every group had their specific set of cars, whether it was the Ferrari for uh, Mike or if it was the Hummer. Did he get the Hummer from the Cuban? Is that where he got the bright yeah, in the end? Yeah. And then, yeah, the uh, Haitian guys or whoever they were with the big dreadlocks, they all had their classic muscle cars. They all had very specific cars for their groups. They did. It was just, yeah. And, and the cars, obviously, were just a very um, indicative of the personality. You know, and I and I have to say, I lo I know this was just such a ridiculous part of the movie, but I and and I don't go for every just stupid you know action sequence, but when Will Smith flips around the Ferrari and does like the three sixty, and then just all the holes and some machine gun on all those guys, I'm sorry, I, it was just I, it gives me chills every time. It's just so silly and great. Oh, okay, I, I'm sorry. I just want to comment about this. I 
Love it. He flips the car around as he's driving. He holds a machine gun with one hand out the window. And I'm still on the machine gun. I'm on board. But he, he fires upon a group of 15 to 20 armed men who are behind barricades, their cars, with machine guns. And then he stops firing, and then he just kind of casually drives away. 15 to 20 guys aiming machine guns at you in a, in a distance where you can also fire on them. How is he alive? Well, I think it was the sheer surprise and the shock and awe of the Ferrari coming full speed chicken at us, and he's going to flip and just spray us down with this submachine. I mean, I think those guys were, I mean, it was Mike Lowry. They were, but if I'm holding a machine gun, I think I'm the one doing the shocking and all. Like, I I, I don't know. Maybe, okay, there may be something to that. But just from a from a different level, you know, right before that, he had said, don't show him your badge, shoot him or whatever. And then uh, that that's part of the lazy writing to me is, is at that point, his little one-liner seemed so lazy to me. Could have been anything right there. He, he yeah. had a world was his oyster for somebody to write him. Nick, I wish you could have wrote the line he said at that moment. There were disappointing one-liners in this movie, for and sure. one of the biggest ones. Remember what he said? Now show me your Now show me your bad. Yeah. It's just like since that made. Yeah, it was, it was not a good line. It doesn't make any sense. It's not a good line. 2003 no. Buddy Cop movie. What do you do? Yeah. Not a good line. Even for a second, since we were talking about the character arcs and just the jaded, you know, aspect. I, I, I want to know what you guys thought about the tone, because that was actually something, again, being critical mess, we want to explore what other people thought of this movie, not just what we thought of it. Um, and, you know, one of the consistent through lines that I read in the, in the critical reviews was was that of tone. I think they they really um, honed in on that. I'll read a couple of them here. Uh, the Chicago Reader says, this putrid action flick crawls along for two and a half hours before expiring in a septic field of bad one-liners, half-hearted catchphrases, obliterated cars, vicious slow-mo, bullet penetration, graphic corpse mutilations played for laughs, and shamefully hollow bonding scenes between its two dyspeptic megastars. Um, drafted the blue, blah, 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 struck pay dirty game with bad boys. This sequel, directed by right-hand man Michael Bay, is a sour and jaded is the tom. So we have sour and jaded there, all right? And then there's a couple other ones here. Um, just Richard Roper says it was a nasty, mean-spirited movie, and I think that kind of sums it up pretty well. Just nasty and mean-spirited. Just, just everybody's mean. Everybody's yelling. Everybody's mad. You know, there's no nuance to the characters. Everybody's just, you know, either whether it's sassy, whether it's reprimanding, whether it's yelling, whether it's woo after you just destroy it. Like it's all just mean-spirited to me. Get the undertones of therapy and how to heal and all that stuff with the whole the video store gay scene or the. Uh, where they talk, you know, they get caught on camera and they're having this super deep moment and they're talking about their feelings and they're hashing it out on the couch. And then you have the whole scene where, I mean, the obvious part where he's talking about, goose, what was it, goose rub off? Whatever the, where he rubs his ears and he's trying to do what his therapist told him to do to calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's probably from a different movie I'm thinking of. But it's funny that I did notice that underlying tone where it was just, it was, there were multiple scenes. It wasn't just those two that I'm talking about, but it was like they, touched on it over and over again and they're like themes from like therapy and like it's the funniest thing i've ever like noticed in my I life i think it's funny too and i think and that was a, obviously a circuit city right yeah, yeah absolutely the tv's everywhere yeah, yeah. um appallingly mean-spirited with no haha with, with haha bullet wounds and dismemberments um it's rolling stone the cinematic equivalent of toxic waste there's this sentiment of just like repulsion to this movie that a lot of the critics have um, and, you know, I could read a lot more, but I'm not going to. 
people, yeah, but I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I mean, it's it's not the. I don't think it's the content that is repulsive, necessarily. I think it's the personalities of the people. I think it was both because they're talking about the repulsiveness of how gross and dark they went with some of the jokes. I mean, the two rats having cynics, the dismemberment of bodies, and like those people that were. Who knows? They were just big fat people that they needed to stuff drugs in because the bigger, the better they could put more drugs in them. But it was just like how the nonchalant, like there's bodies flying everywhere. I mean, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of it. I mean, even when um, uh, Marcus comes into the precinct after they go to the Cuban guy's house and they see all the blood everywhere and there's like cut up body parts everywhere. And like he goes back to the precinct and he takes that guy's cut finger and he like jiggles it in Lawrence's ear. Like really quick, and yeah. he like freaks out, and he's like, "What?" The fuck? He's like the only one that like kind of seemed like squeamish by it all, but no one thought another like there not are, Plenty of movies that have even way more repulsive, grotesque stuff in them, but it's the com comedy in but us as the audience are told by the movie that that is repulsive. We're seeing it, and we're told that's not good. It's not by the protagonists that we see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's us seeing it. Yeah. That's From what that's to me. What's what is the problem with this movie? There's yeah. no one the center to it. So I've got a serious question. Um, there's a lot of MGD product placement in this movie. Is that still a beer you can buy? I don't know. I haven't seen that since like '05. What the domestic section? Love Ned product placement in a lot of movies, but I don't think I noticed that. I don't know. I, usually, like I'll see a movie and it's a product placement that they've made up on the scene. I follow a couple uh, props masters on TikTok, and they go through the behind the scenes of all kinds of movies. And there are set dressing pieces that are just straight fake brands that look like brands that are only for movies. And there's a yeah. beer that's specific to it. I can't remember the name of it, but that's, that's what I assume is our real MGD. Uh, at the liquor store, I'm going to look for MGD. That's a real well, use like that. Yeah, her character drives an MGD. Nah. That's her. That's like undercover truck. It's you know, for MGD. I was like, well, that's like the worst undercover truck ever because not treason. So ever it's not Alex Gordon. Yeah, maybe they didn't know three. Okay, so I, I I will I want to talk about one thing from a you know that I I really did not enjoy in this movie that that perhaps also um, influenced the critics a little bit because it was just it was just rough and that was just the whole kind of you know Gabrielle Union Will Smith kind of love stuff is just was just cringy. I mean it was just hard to watch. The scene where it all kind of comes to a head with Martin Lawrence sort of finding out that they're having this tryst. It's just it's just hard to watch. It's not the the acting is terrible. The chemistry between those two is terrible. They don't they don't feel like they like each other to me. They feel super fake. Feels forced. And and, and and I should be you know like for me like why do I care about that? I you know and I I don't. But if you're gonna have a love story, I mean, good lord, at least put a tiny little bit of effort into it. It was just and so phoned in. Just Mark. Why is Marcus so pissed? That she's gonna be Mike. He's so pissed that now he's going to transfer. And then I follow that question with another question. Why, by the end of the movie, is he so on board with him, with her dating him? What changed? It was all in the same scene, wasn't it? Like on that dock, there's a, they're waiting for that boat together, and they're sitting in the hammock, and they're talking. It all happened in that one moment. Well, right? that, that's where he's like, he gets pissed at him. He gets pissed. But was it in the same moment that he... No, he, he, yeah, it was later. Oh, to Cuba, right. and yeah, it's their right. adventure, and then at the end, just to make everything happy, yeah. he's like, okay with it. Yeah. What, what changed? Why is not why why did it go from being such a hang up that where he was going to transfer departments to now it's okay with it? 
Well, he's capricious. There's no doubt. That's a damn good he answer. He was damn far it. more in the first movie, right? Didn't he have a bunch of women around him in the first movie? Or I can't remember. I haven't seen that in a long time either. Who? Marcus? Yeah. No. Uh, a lot of the first ladies, man. Marcus pretending to be Mike. I know that, but I'm saying doesn't. That's what he sees him as. He's like the big ladies' well, name. That's why his character doesn't want him to date his sister. Yeah, but then he's then he's fine with it. At the end, he's on board with it and fine with it. Right, because he realizes that's my friend. He'll do anything for me. He'll probably do it. How does he not know that? By then, this is because I'm on the brink of wanting to leave him as a partner, as a friend. Then why did he want to stay? What changed? They went to Cuba and came back. Now everything's fine. I'm sorry. Dramatic moment in life. I I don't know. Let's talk about. Uh, let's, let's talk, talk about, about Jordy Mola, aka Johnny Tapia, aka Jesus Christ, a little bit. Very Jesusy. Well, I mean, he was he was painting this Jesus in his house. Well, um, yes, yeah, yeah. Which the yeah. Last Supper, yeah. and they explained to him that was right before he, he died. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, and then he yells at him for painting it. So, so I I think uh, outstanding performance. Yeah, I like the guy. That's awesome. He, he, Played the the lunatic um, kind of psychopath, um, Cubano drug dealer to a T. Yeah, sweat more than in that whole movie. Just the whole like the stress out. Yeah, he was always yeah. sweaty. Yeah, it's great. I loved. I I bought totally in with him. What I didn't buy into was he was so incompetent, shooting at rats, um, letting letting these two exterminators into his house and getting. He was so incompetent of a crime lord. That I questioned how he even got into the position that he was in, because he did not show any like crime lord attributes. So that, that that's my my problem with the writing of the character, but the performance and the casting of, of the character was very good. Cuban yeah. Jesus was, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't have been the crime the, the boss, but he was great. Yeah. I think I think I, I called him a Cubano, which is a sandwich. I didn't I didn't mean to insult him. Hey, in that way, Cuban. We'll give our retractions at the beginning of next episode, and you know we'll. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're more, much more than a sandwich, there, Jordy. Um, my favorite line of Johnny Tapia's was, "I'm not going to be able to do the the accent," but he goes, "I can't get my money across town without making the news." <laughs> Does this news system? It's kind of too, yeah, yeah. It's just great. It's just. Um, I want to look. Can we can we go back to the Circuit City scene for a minute? Yeah, because I just thought you know I I thought it was pretty funny. I know it was kind of in poor taste. Um, you know it did, but you know you know my ass still hurts from what you did to it last night. You know, and then you know how I get. You know, it was it was um it was the the kind of the, the double entendres were cranked to the max. I I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was it was pretty funny too. And when the uh, the woman at the end of the scene um is. It scolds the the young man working at the store for for showing porno and homo shows. Yeah, that was. She, uh, she says, "Well, line, not like her one bit." She well, was she was, she was a caricature of a of of the large sassy black woman, and I'm she like, was. "Can was. we have a large black woman in a in a scene who's not also sassy? Does that exist?" Yeah. And you know, the three are going to be hard pressed. Yeah, and then you have the the obligatory super flamboyant gay guys reacting to it. And it, well, it was, we all don't know it was only for stereo church to gay. Well, guys. yeah, that was pretty bad. And I, guys, I'm not going to read my list for for time, and you know, just because it's too pedantic. But I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, thirteen distinct caricatures in this movie. 
all the side characters are just complete and utter parodies or 100% to the ninth caricatures of, and those are the two of them, and there's just a bunch more. We talked about Ice Tick already, the Jamaican guy. And so, come on, Mike. I, I understand it's Michael Bay, and I understand, you know, there's not a lot of thinking going on, and you just want to be told exactly who somebody is in two words or less by their behavior. And so, can't have any nuance or dimensionality, but God damn, like, it, it's too much. Ultra. Ultra stereotype. is the epitome of Michael Bay. I don't have a massive, get to have a massive fan and critical reaction. You got to check that out. I'm sure. It's got to be. But no, that lady at the very end of that video scene, I had to quote it. It was, oh, you two motherfuckers need Jesus right before she walks out. It's ridiculous. Why not? The one-liners are just so good. Oh, I know. No, they're not. Yeah, I just think typical characters can still have funny lines, but it, it's. But I, I hear you, Brian. It was. Oh, that, that was cringy. The second part just absolutely. See their conversation on the couch, and I didn't need it to be on the TVs and to hear everyone else. I just, you know, that. Yeah, yeah. that was a funny. I love the double entendres there. Very good. Um, um one thing I want to, I want to give. Credit to this movie, and if Brian, I think you'll probably um, even, you know, acquiesce on this one. I, I hope, well, maybe not. Um, but, but this movie, the way it just it nails the yes, it's very, it feels very of the time. But I want to say that it absolutely nails the whatever 2000, 2003, 2003 Miami vibe. It just it feels so Miami. I don't go to Miami very often, but I just know that's exactly what what you know to a to a to a hyperbolic agree but i know that just feels right for 2003 oh totally i mean i was uh, i was a huge fan of uh vice city gta vice city. Yeah, yeah yeah and i put that in my synopsis before i read all the reviews and more than one critical review said that this is basically just a long promo for grand theft auto vice city nice um so i don't know if you're if you're you want to be described if a movie as being a two and a half hour long promo for a video game but very, very, like, I, I'm pretty sure they probably shot on location. I, I don't know that for a fact, but um, uh, well, some of it was it had to have been jerk some, some at least. And I agree. At least it had that feel to it. It felt right. It was right on point with, this is this is Miami Vice. This is, well, and a lot of them said Miami Vice as well. So Vice City and Miami Vice. Yep. Yep. Guys, I want to I, I want to read just a couple more of these. Um, please. And, and I want to, I want to real quick, I want to I want to shift a little bit. I mean, we can keep going on this, but I just want to make sure we hit on, on, or at least make sure we speak enough to why audiences and critics disagreed so, so much here. And I think a lot of it again, is that, um, audiences tend to, to rate something based on just their, just their enjoyment of it, you know? And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong at all. I think it's just good to go in to the scores, knowing what they are, knowing, knowing the difference. That's, that's all that that means. But I, I will read you a couple of these. Uh, so, um, so this is uh, this is this is so so bad. Okay, um, five stars by Gary L. Right, and these these two this is so poetic. These two reviews are back to back. Gary L. Five stars. I mean, how can you not like this movie? Name a greater action movie than this. At least ten great scenes in this. The ratings for this film, based on critics, is exactly why you only look at audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Okay, so take that, hold that in one hand. This guy's saying, you know, don't even look at the critic reviews. Look at the audience reviews. 
You want to hear the very next rating? This is going to case in point why you don't read fucking audience reviews because of idiots like this. Four stars, Chris up, very next. Come on, this is good action film schlock. Do you guys know what schlock is? It's oh, it's garbage. Yeah. That's what it is. It's terrible, bad, poorly named garbage, right? So you have a guy saying, look at the audience reviews. Then you've got the next audience review saying, give it four out of five stars and calling it garbage. Okay. Come on. Enjoyable garbage? I don't know. Like, I just two of the thousands of reviews there are. But guys, this is really rampant in the audience scores. And it really bugs me. It really bugs me that people are giving this thing for just need your four stars because there was some hot chicks in it or a big car chase or a big explosion. They had fun. And I'm not saying that you can't rate the film four out of five stars. I'm saying if you're going to, do it for a good reason like Nick has done. You have a lot of reasons to back up. You didn't just say it's a garbage, terrible movie and I'm giving it an 83 out of 100. You're saying it's a really enjoyable, fun, like all the reasons you love the movie. That's why you give a movie four out of five stars. If every audience member was true and faithful like that, it would be much more, you know, interesting. But then you have, you have critics. I mean, just a, another, uh, the Austin Chronicle, you leave this theater, or you leave the theater thinking less of yourself and humanity as a whole. I, I, I love that. Um, Roger, Roger Hebert, everybody involved in this project needs to do some community service. Oh my <laughs> God, that's so good. Um, the per- I Let's see, Slant Magazine, Michael Bay's latest uh, jingoistic fetish film, Bad Boys 2, could be the most vile creation to come out of Hollywood since Patch Adams. I'm, I read that because that ties us to our last episode where we talked about Patch Adams being the, being the terrible Robert um, uh, Robin Williams um, discrepancy. And then I'll read you one more. This is the last one I'll read. Real Views. Uh, and this one just resonates with me. Bad Boys 2 isn't just bad. It's a catastrophic violation of every aspect of cinema that I, as a film critic, hold dear. And that, if I could sum up what I dislike about that movie, it's that review. Okay, and, and I think um, some of my overall thoughts will speak to that. I think, let me, let me ask you guys this. What's the theme of this movie? If you had to tell, tell me what is the theme, not what's the moral or what's the plot, but what's the theme of this movie? And do you think a movie needs to have a theme? It's, it's something I'd want to think about a little bit, but yeah. to me the theme is uh, is Miami drugs and cops. I mean, it's not it's not like a you know like a theme like it's got some sort of moral compass or something or or anything to, to say about or anything to even say about anything. It's just it's 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 just kind of a um, you know the the theme is just is just you know lots of action and lots of crazy shit happening and, and just a feast for the eyes and ears. I guess that's not really answering your question. What's well, the clock? Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm confused by the exact definition of what you think the theme is. Because I could name it, yeah, like something like that or I could name some type of the tone or something. But I think good movies have themes. Okay. So theme is basically like the core of the plot, right? So you have the plot is what happens, but the theme is sort of like what is the movie saying about what's happening, right? What's it, What's the movie, what's the point? Why does it exist as a movie? Well, what's the theme? I guess I would maybe, it, it's hard. I mean, I feel like that thing is is, is kind of easy to discern and like, uh, you know, more, um, you know, like a thriller or a big epic movie or, or, or an adventure movie, you know, like Hook, you know, last, you know, the theme of that movie was, you know, 
to me it was parenting. Oh, absolutely. See, and you called it on that episode. You said you, you hit on a theme. You were just naturally drawn to explain what you thought the theme of that movie was. And I'm sort of asking the same question about this. Yeah, maybe because I think you're going to struggle to find, you know, like a real concrete theme like that in a lot of movies, even even the movies that are kind of objectively really good action. It's like, what's the theme of Die Hard? Uh, I mean, I didn't just watch it. Didn't just watch it, so I, I'm put on put. Yeah, I'm no, putting on the spot here. I know, and that's a tough. And there probably is like a good answer to that because Die Hard is a pretty thoughtfully written movie. At the end of the day, and the theme probably has something to do with you know, you know, Bruce Willis and his wife, and now, you know, he. I think it's a merit. Theme is it's about a merit. Yeah. yeah, and kind of the what you'll do to preserve your family and kind of there's something in there for sure. Yes, and that and that was probably actually not a very good example to bring up. Another scene could be like like an everyday cop can be a hero kind of deal, you know? Like yeah, yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah, I think you can you would be yeah. Well, I, I don't think that was a great. A is great it tagging on just the friendship? Because I I just keep going back to this whole therapy thing. It was legitimately a theme that went through the movie, and like it was just so under the table. Well, I think that, it's not a motif. A theme is theme's not a motif in this respect. What I mean by a theme is like, yeah, you know, like what the movie is saying about yeah. about what's going on. But I think it's just those two and their relationship. This this these two friends that are so polar opposite. Rich, not you know, not necessarily poor, but like filthy rich and maybe well off or super over the top and ex- extravagant and then a family man. And then they just go through the whole film. Like they have such this difference in view in life. And they still work together every day for a single cause, which is what protect and serve. I don't you blow shit up every other weekend. I, don't, I think I think you're dancing around it. I think yeah. that that kind of kind of occurred to me as you were talking there. I think that to me the theme is is um, you know ride together, die together. Okay, that's that is what the theme is. It's you know you are you know you are you are through thick and thin there for your partner, even when it's when it hurts, even when it looks bad. You know, even when we both fucked up, even, you know, wins, losses. See, we got out there, Brian. Eat it. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> hey, question. I, I'm, I genuinely, yes, just to add a little bit. But I think, but once again, the fact they even kind of had to really think that through means that the theme wasn't, wasn't really all that strong. And I think, back to my diehard point, I do think it's probably a little bit harder to dig themes out of action movies, but... I do think, though, that a movie like Die Hard does have a pretty strong theme in a way that this movie did. probably is not. Even a, a contemporary to this would be Rush Hour. Like I said before, mm-hmm. I think Rush Hour is, yeah. is an example of a buddy cop movie mm-hmm. around the same era uh, that even had a sequel that was good, not as good as the original. And, um, uh, well, it, and <laughs> when I say a sequel's good, you know, that I expect the sequel to be terrible. So it's better than I call it. Sure. A little bit. Sure. But, and I would I would say that the themes in, in, in Rush Hour are much more readily prevalent, and I think action movies can definitely have. So yeah, there you go. I think you're right. I think it's it's ride together, die together kind of deal. And um, I think that yeah, that's a weak theme, uh, but it is a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we okay. we got there. What, what else, guys? guys? Um, maybe a few more things we need to iron out before we before we let this one go here, before we let this fish off the hook here. Um. You know, I think that, um, Brian, you, you commented, commented earlier that, you know, Marcus, you know, Martin Lawrence was, was kind of the, the, the closest to having a, an arc, I guess. And it was a, it was a shallow arc. No, no doubt about that. But him kind of that final scene where he kills, you know, Tapia and kind of has the guts to, to do the, you know, the, doesn't he like do a, you know, a barrel roll? Yeah. He does the Mike Lowry. He right? It was courage. Finally, 
Right. At the end that he didn't show at the beginning of the movie. And initiative. That he so never would have shown. He's in drink face. He looks cool and collected yeah. and everything. He looks like Mike Lowry. Only character arc detectable in the entire film. I would strongly agree with that. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. And it, and it took, I mean, and like up until, you know, five minutes before that, he was still, you know. That's okay. It, the arc can happen at any time. For it, any, it can. As long as it's a reason for you. But you're right. It was like a pivot more than an arc. You I think that's a good way to put it. I, I, I think also, you know, one other note I had in here that um, to just for, for our more careful and discerning viewers is as Tapia goes down um, from the gunshot to the head, he kind of, his head kind of snaps back. There's kind of a booger kind of like up, <laughs> lodged up in part of his nose. It's very small, very small, but you can imagine on a, on a giant screen. I mean, that very small little booger, it's going to, it's going to stand out. And not like a think he watches the movie and goes, My Johnny You know, he's lost. You know, he's got boogers. He doesn't care. Yeah. Anyways, I thought that was, um, you know, you would have thought we could have, could we have just CGI'd that booger out? You know, was there was there a bigger booger that was a, a larger priority? Yeah. Blew the budget. Yeah. They blew the budget on booger budget. Or on the Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really have anything else to say about the movie. I really wanted to just touch on those big points. So, I mean, I've got some closing thoughts. But um, if you guys have anything else, any other reason, massive scenes that you just th- like just stood out to you? Like, I think of like iconic scenes for this movie where you got Lowry with his hand straight out, right and left, because they do that pan zoom kind of just rotate around him a couple times. Are there any scenes that you guys just like know that is just iconic bad boys are from this movie that you remember? Yeah, the scene where they slow where Martin Lawrence is on the phone and he's getting the bad news. And you got the both slowly stand up. And it's funny because it looks so dramatic, but he's just on a cell phone getting some news about something. And it's like, whoa, we did that came room that move just for that? Yeah. Okay. Well, put it in the yeah. fucking trailer. Yeah. A scene that we touched on briefly earlier that I have to say is is, is probably my favorite scene in the movie is the uh, the Reggie scene, the, the date scene. Oh, yes. With, uh, with Uncle Mike. My scene of the movie. Yeah. The mother. You look thirty, and, and, and they drop that line twice. It is just the the way they do it. It's it's so good, and the way he's just kind of flung that fist like chitty chitty bang bang, you know, like kind of shake. Yeah, it's more of that Will Smith. That's like Fresh Prince like humor, like like really cheeky, like you know, classic yeah. Will Smith. Bad Boys for Life, the latest one from like a year or two. Ago. I have, yeah, you have. Okay, I have not seen. So I'm wildly curious to see how it compares to this. I mean, I think I saw it right when it came out, so it's not super fresh in my mind. But for me, it was um, it was better than I thought it was going to be. It was not a dumpster fire, but it wasn't great. It was more of the same. The chem- the chemistry was the chem- he was still there. Okay, he, he, he once again carried. It was like we talked about. Like Lawrence is, has not been on the scene in years. I don't know where he's been or what he's been doing. I'm sure he's been in some things, but that's wild that he just popped up. You know, almost 20 years later to do another Bad Boys. I'm sure the money was right. I don't doubt. I'm sure Will Smith was the big draw, and so yeah. Guys, how come the first time Marcus's pool collapses, he's completely livid, and then the second time the exact same thing happens, he's like goofy fun going. Go the second time, it's still his pool. He still loves it. Yeah, that's true. Why is he so happy? Did he knows because Michael Bay. End of movie. Oh. Audience happy. Everything fine. Make him laugh this time. It's like, oh my god, really? Yeah. Like Mike Lowry's description of the pool, and he's just like it's like a puddle in plastic. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. You got GIF, by the way, thirty nine hundred dollars for that. Pool. No kidding, Jeez. Miami prices. Um, um, 
Yeah, yeah guys, I I think you know we we've gone we've gone through quite quite a bit here. I, I've got one little comment um, just regarding the very very end of the film that is something I really like that that movies do that I feel like movies don't do this very often anymore, and it was kind of more of a uh, kind of an eighties nineties thing, and that's kind of you know keeping the movie rolling during the credits. And, um, you know, sometimes it's outtakes, sometimes it's like actually another scene in the movie. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that's, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's the kind of thing that an audience does, you know, I feel like. And it just, in this movie knew that and, and, and did it. And it's not like some great scene or and it's not outtakes, it's like another scene in this, in this movie. And it's not like super memorable or anything, but it's just, it's just kind of a nice extra little thing that just, you know, kind of further solidifies the, you know, bond between those two you know, those two characters. So I, I, I think that's just a nice touch in movies that I, I hardly ever see anymore. Yeah, it's usually the very, very end of all the credits or it's, it's usually in comedy. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or it's the montage at the end of a comedy. Yeah. I'll take or whatever. Bloopers. Well, do you guys want to do some final thoughts? Yeah, I'll give you my final, final thoughts. thoughts. Um, just to kind of recap, I, I thought um, overall the th- it felt like a very one-dimensional film. There's any nuance or subtlety to anything or anyone. It felt like a parody it was very erratic. Um, the first 15 minutes of the movie, I can't tell you how many establishing location shots with some kind of hip-hop or cool electronic music playing. Um, the camera's never stationary. It's just very ADHD erratic. It's just like, I, I'm just exhausted, you know, after two and a half hours of it. Uh, racist and sexist. Everyone's either a black bitch or a honky or a dumb Latin fuck. And those are direct quotes taken from the movie that are said multiple times by people of whatever ethnic group talking about the other ethnic group. Nobody's ever just a person. They're always a whatever kind of skin color they are. Uh, all the chicks are dumb bitches, bimbos, or sluts. Like It's like, oh my God. Like, what is this? Um, if you said that description, I would have said this to Michael Bay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, yeah. uh, there's no setups or payoffs. We didn't really touch on that, but I, I love a good setup and a good payoff, and we didn't get much of that. Um, minimal, minimal character arcs, we talked about that. Very lazy writing. Lack of a theme. Uh, so I guess we did discover a theme there. Uh, but definitely not not a moral to the story. Or And I think the only reason this exists is to make money. Um, I think this was a cash grab, and that's why it was made, and it worked. And then the tone was just angry, mean, nasty. I didn't feel good at the end of it. And it's not because of what happened, but it was because of how approving all the characters, even the protagonists in the story, were about what was happening. Um, and they were the perpetrators of a lot of it. So I guess, I guess some of why I gave it a one out of five, you know, that's... I'm not going to... He's holding guns wrong, whatever, you know. Um, so that's, that's it for me. Yeah, I think oh, what Nick and Lassenstein enjoyed it the most. But uh, overall, I really expected a lot more. Number of years coming back later, I expect the nostalgia to ride me home on this one and give me a seven, maybe an eight out of ten. Um, but a five and a half is a pretty low score for me. Typically, a movie with a pulse will give me a three or a four. So that's real low for me. I think I enjoy a lot of these movies in general, but. Uh, this one just felt, I think, totally just completely off. Like, it, I was expecting to have a lot of fun, and I think I just, like, was cringed at a lot of stuff. Like, you said the racist comments, the the weird, like, character acting, and, like, and then it was just the overall tone, just, like, the ups and downs of, like, super comedy, and then there's some really dark, disgusting humor in here, and you're just, like, looking at these characters not react in any way, shape, or form around it. And it was just, it took me out of it a few times, but I was just, I mean, overall, it's just a very over-the-top, outrageous film. One that kind of I, I think about a little bit, but it was more recent, is Pain and Gain with The Rock. And have you seen that one? Or, or do you guys? 
uh, it, it's like a true story and it tells you over and over again, this is a true story. This all really happened. That's what it felt like. It was just everything got crazier and crazier and crazier and just escalated. And it just never got anywhere is what I was expecting it to be or what it used to be. I don't know. It's basically action increases. The stakes never do. Yeah, exactly. So I was kind of under, well, I'm a little sad that it didn't give me a little bit more boost in the nostalgia department. So I, I will preface this by saying I agree with a lot. <laughs> Well, you, both of you guys um, just said there, and I will, I will freely, freely admit that. But for me, I mean, this is a movie I've, I've got the nostalgia glasses on for, and and Bad Boys One in particular was like, is is transparently one of my favorite movies of all time. So, um, you know, that is definitely plays into this too. I, I can see this movie as a deeply flawed movie in many, many ways um, that I still really enjoy a lot. And for me. And really, the comic, the comedy, and the chemistry between the two main characters that really make this this movie for me and make it still an enjoyable, fun watch um, to this day. You know, the the action to me is is pretty meh. It's it's you know it's ridiculous. It's way over the top, but it's not you know a me fifteen years ago appreciated a lot more than than now. And I would guess I would say in a lot of ways, I mean, it does it does make me feel a little gross that I do like this movie itself. Because I do, and I'll say that un unashamedly, but it, it does make me feel a little gross in, in some ways. And I will also admit that I think the older I get, the the less I like it. But that doesn't change the fact that I, I still do enjoy this movie. And I guess I would also say that we've said a lot of times, you know, tonight that the the movie is very of its time. And to me, you know, that's that's okay. Um, and, you know, and some movies are going to feel like that and, and some movies are not. And this one really, really does. And I think it'll just get worse and worse over the years. This movie is going to feel like 2003. So exactly of that year, 50 years from now, you know. And, and, and so I, I think that, you know, that once again, it's just I can accept that. I can accept that, even though it's maybe not a good thing. It's something that. That, you know, it just kind of is what it is. So um, I, this has been, I think, a really good discussion, guys. Um, as you know, pretty, pretty good uh, second wall as usual. It's our second track at it. But, you know, um, I think this is this has been fun. I like that we really had strong opinions. We were yeah. able to sort of put yeah. them out there and, like, detach ourselves from them. Here's the opinion, and we just talk about it. Uh, because I think there's going to be a lot of that, and I'd love it. Yeah, I was you know, you guys is, you know, obviously I respect both of you guys' opinions on movies a lot. And it's interesting to respect someone's opinions and disagree with them because both can happen at the same time. Because you can see, it's like ah, I, I see, I, I can see why you think that and or, or why how that's accurate and stuff. Yeah, so, having I, just talked about Hook, I can't believe how polarizing and just like detracted we were from this movie yeah. compared to the last one. Yeah, it was it was kind of nice. Yeah, I enjoyed the debate for sure. Thank you, everybody. This has been a uh, second episode of Critical Mess. We had a lot of fun. We hope you did, too. If you're still listening, we very much appreciate you, and we appreciate you anyways. So please tune in next time where we're going to talk about um, who knows what the hell we're going to talk about. We're going to figure that out here soon. But it's going to be something uh, divisive, and uh, we're going to have some fun with it. So we will see you guys next time. See you. Later.